So I'm recording this introduction on the 20th of January, exactly one week after the fatal stabbing of Pavel Adamovich, the mayor of Gdansk. I met Mayor Adamovich when we were looking at different potential locations in Poland to set up the studio for Loving Vincent. One of the reasons we chose Gdansk was because we thought it would be the best location in Poland to attract foreign painters and film crew. Mayor Adamovich was a progressive politician who spoke out in defence of immigration and gay rights and other socially liberal issues and who, over the past 20 years, won four terms as mayor, presiding over a period of unprecedented and transformative growth for the city of Gdansk. While his killer was a former convict with a history of mental illness, the killer stated that his crime, committed live on television at an event to raise money for hospital equipment for children, was politically motivated. Adamowicz was targeted by many right-wing groups in Poland and their hate campaign against him, including one organisation issuing him with a fake death certificate last year, is very much the context of this killing. Adamowicz continued to speak out strongly for liberal causes in spite of this campaign of haste against him. His killing is a shameful event for Poland, and I can only hope that the frame of discourse will become more civilised as a result of this shocking event. Our podcast this week is about Pilsudski, who, by the way, will be voiced by loving Vincent actor Robert Gulachik, and at the end of the podcast there will be a short interview with Robert. Pilsudski did more than any other person to bring Poland back into nationhood after a period of 123 years when it was carved up between the Prussian Empire, the Russian Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Poland had previously been the largest power in the region, but political disunity among the political leaders led to outside powers being able to meddle in and weaken Poland and ultimately to devour it. It needed a leader as visionary and as strong as Pilsudski to bring about the rebirth of Poland in 1918. He was a military genius who outmaneuvered Trotsky. He was a social progressive who enfranchised women, brought in social security and halved illiteracy. And unfortunately, he was also a man who crossed the line between being a strong authoritarian leader and a dictator although he maintained he had to do this to stop political infighting from destroying Poland again. What he wanted more than anything else was for Poland to be reborn, survive and to thrive. He knew that the greatest threat to the new state was infighting between different political factions within Poland and hostile policies to Poland's minorities and to Poland's smaller neighbours. Those who are currently orchestrating the polarisation of politics in Poland today should bear in mind that their hero, Pilsudski, would have been appalled by the killing of Adamowicz and the vicious political infighting that led up to it. I dedicate this episode of the year to the memory of Pavel Adamowicz, Mayor of Gdansk, from the 26th of October 1998 to the 14th of January 2019, when he was assassinated by stabbing. Episode four of the year, January 1919, Pilsudski and the Whoever had the choice would choose an eagle's nest on the cliffs in place of a home. May he know how to sleep, though his eyes be red from the thunder, and listen to the cries of the wild spirits in the murmur of the pines. Joseph Pilsudski. 
This is a surprise, stated the captain in his best German. Piercing blue eyes angled up to meet the captain's one eye. White eyebrows raised quizzically. Well, it's not where I expected to find the president. May I? Captain de Viet gestured to the plain scuffed wooden chair opposite the slight gaunt figure of Field Marshal Pilsudski. Pilsudski gestured for the captain to take a seat. As the field marshal seemed in no hurry to break the silence, de Viat felt obliged to. Why, if you run this country, do you dine in this little place all alone? Captain Adrian Colton de Viat didn't much like speaking German under the historical circumstances, but it was the only practical thing to do for now. I like the food. After another pause, Pilsudski added, If I dined somewhere finer, I'd be accused of becoming corrupted. And I dine alone, because if I didn't, people would speculate that I belonged to some tribe or other, when in fact I have no loyalty to anybody other than Poland herself. I belong to the country, and the country alone. Field Marshal Pilsudski, who declared the rebirth of Poland with himself as its leader on the 11th of November 1918, had now been in power for three months. The self-appointed president had already fought two wars with neighbouring nations and many political battles with his internal enemies. David Lloyd George had charged Captain de Viat to find out what on earth is happening out there. De Viat was very much the junior partner on the British military mission to Poland, which itself was the junior partner to the French military mission. He was second to Prime Minister Berta of South Africa, who de Viat strongly suspected had been manoeuvred into taking this assignment by the New Zealand Prime Minister, William Massey, who was getting rather sick of Berta's 100% pro-British line at the Paris Peace Conference. The Oceanic Dominions were rather more inclined than both South Africa and Canada to take an independent line. He understood why Canada, with the Goliath of America on the other side of the world's longest border from it, was rather inclined to stick close to the mother country. But why Berta was such a king's man was beyond of yet. After all, it hadn't been so very long ago that Berta had been shooting the king's men at every opportunity he got. The train ride from Paris to Warsaw had contributed to Dviat's feeling that they were being shunted off to somewhere on the periphery. It had required them to change trains in Berlin, Chechen and Poznan, then take a horse-drawn carriage to Łódź and then another train thereafter. Their journey to Warsaw was the first time that de Viat had a chance to look at Berta up close. They had previously eyed each other across enemy lines during the Second Boer War, where de Viat had been shot in the balls as well as in the lungs, the first two in amongst a multitude of bullet wounds that he had collected while charging enemy lines in various wars over the years. Berta had at that point been the leader of the Boers, and the man who had captured their now mutual friend, Winston Churchill. It was Churchill who had put de Viat onto this mission, much to the chagrin of the Foreign Office, who had protested that the appointment was utterly incredulous. It had taken Churchill's close relationship to Berta, whom he had got to insist, as mission leader, on de Viat's inclusion, to finally shut up the Foreign Office suits. Remarkably, Churchill seemed to harbour absolutely no grudge against the man who had once taken him prisoner, but de Viat was yet to make up his mind about the man. One thing was certain from the first week they'd spent in Warsaw. Berta was not suited for diplomacy in Poland. He spoke neither French nor German and therefore was doubly at a disadvantage to de Viat, 
who was fluent in both and who was doing his damnedest to get his head around at least a smattering of Polish. Pilsudski, having spent 17 years in the Austro-Hungarian occupied part of Poland, had learnt German sufficiently to be able to negotiate and bargain with his then overlords and manoeuvre to create a force that he could use to gain Polish independence at the first opportunity. Pilsudski was one of the few who both foresaw the Great War and foresaw that a consequence of the war would be the only chance presented to Poles for several generations to become once more masters of their own destiny. And to do this, he had not only to fight with, but also to deal with and to charm the Habsburg imperial authorities, the Prussian militarists, and whoever succeeded them, and the Russians. Well, not the Russians. The only thing that Russians understood was force. His childhood growing up in the Russian-controlled zone of Poland and his time in a Siberian gulag had taught him that. Pilsudski agreed with Lenin that while men make history, they do so in particular historical circumstances. And he had been planning and preparing for these historical circumstances a lot longer than that freak. Pilsudski had confused his former socialist colleagues when he came triumphant into Warsaw. On the one hand, he disavowed his socialism. It was a path to independence, and this is the stop I get off at. Yet he refused to join the fight against Lenin's Bolsheviks. But this was not out of any residual loyalty to his socialist youth. This was because he feared imperial Russians who had shackled his childhood more than he feared the precarious band of opportunist revolutionaries currently totering at the top of the Russian realm. Is it true you beat your own fingers off? Pilsudski eyed the empty space at the end of Dvyat's left arm, where a hand should be. I rather like my arm, and some bloody Bosch had just shot off part of my hand, and the damn doctors refused to cut my remaining fingers off, which were already infected. You hang around the front lines, well, then you see what can happen to infections, and so yes, I bit them off. A small trace of a smile passed over the president's face, but he wasn't done with his inquisition. I hear you seconded Razovil in a duel last night. That doesn't seem very diplomatic. Deviat laughed heartily in response to this. I'm not a diplomat, sir. I'm a soldier. And so am I. The president was quick to respond. Yes, but I don't run my country. I fight for it. I don't have to be as diplomatic as you. Myself and Razavil had, during the course of the evening, become firm friends. You back your friends. In war, your life depends on it. I guess it is a hard habit for an old soldier to break, even in peacetime. Pilsudski took a long look at this one-eyed, one-handed British Belgium sitting across from him and decided he was going to like him. And so the British are friends of the Poles? Is that it? I don't see why not, but it might take more than one jolly evening to consummate that friendship. Pilsudski paused. He sensed they were coming to the crux of their conversation, the crux of why a man who seemed as far removed from being diplomatic as it was possible to be had been included on a diplomatic mission. And were it to be consummated? Does that mean that your country would follow your example and second their friend if it came to a fight? The captain didn't answer the question. Instead turned and called to the waiter. Prosha, vodka, Zimno. He turned back to the president. That rather depends on who the fight is with. Whether we are fighting your friend or not. <laughs> That's not likely. More whether you are fighting someone big enough to need our support fighting against. 
But I have to say, things at home are not what they once were. It's not 1914 when every Tom, Dick or Harry will sign on the dotted line when a man with a big moustache points a finger at them. Pilsudski narrowed his eyes, unsure if this was a slight. Kitchener, Lord Kitchener, your country needs you, Deviat explained. But the president looked back at him blankly. It was the poster that recruited two and a half million men. Lord Kitchener's army. Never mind, you were busy. You had other things to preoccupy you. Deviat drained the vodka in front of him. The thing is, we might not be standing behind you with a rifle in hand. Not the order of the day on the home front. You know, keeping the boys in their uniforms. It is just the way it is. But we may be able to make sure that you have a jolly big gun in your own hands. Maybe? Yes, maybe. Depending who we think you'll be using that big gun on. Two men stared at each other. Again, Devyat was the one to break the silence. Why are you fighting with the Ukrainians? Pilsudski turned away and gestured to the waiter to bring vodka. It was many years since he had been drunk. When he first arrived in Siberia, he, along with the rest of his fellow inmates, had used it as a tool for numbing the cold, numbing their very existence. But then he decided it was a crutch, not a tool. And now it was just an aid to digestion, a single shot after his meal that evoked fleetingly, memories of more carefree times, before Siberia, before war. Pilsudski poured two vodkas from the carafe into their glasses and smiled at the captain. We are not fighting with the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are fighting with us. His smile cast into an expression of historical weariness. They don't seem to understand that if they are not part of us, the Russians will take them. And that it is better to stand freely with us than to be Russian slaves. But for now they think they can stand without Poland. And can Poland stand without Ukraine? Deviat asked. The Polish Supremo paused a long while. Where does Russia stop and Poland start? Or Belarusia, or Ukraine, or Western Ukraine, or Lithuania? It stops where we force them to stop. There are 90 million Russians, many millions more in their empire. There are 22 million Poles, but together with Belarus, Ukraine and Lithuania? Well, then we are no longer outnumbered 4 to 1. Together we can almost stand man for man, and we as free people will match the will of Russians, for they don't know freedom. Maybe with your big gun we could defeat Russia without the Ukrainians being with us, Captain Devyat but I'd rather not have to find out to answer to that question. With that, Pilsudski sipped lightly on his chilled vodka. Across the table from him, Devyat absorbed this as he dispensed with another shot. Field Marshal, sir, would you mind very much if I took a look for myself? Maybe you could send some of your officers to escort me down to Lvov and scout around Galicia. Maybe I would even be able to head east to meet this uh, Petzluria fellow. Have a sensible word with him. By all means, Captain Deviat. I hear you have already made plenty of friends among my officers. Take whomever you need. But I would be pleased if you would not encourage them to shoot at each other in the future. They should save that for Poland's enemies, because unfortunately we have been reborn with many. And togetherness is the only thing that can allow us to survive. As you command, Field Marshal. With that, Deviat stood up from his table and saluted the field marshal. He bid the premier a good evening and departed.
Pilsudski looked after the British officer with one hand missing, one eye missing, one foot missing, part of one ear blown off and with several other wounds invisible to the eye, and marvelled that he gave not even the slightest hint that any of it bothered him. In one week this character had ingratiated himself with the entire officer corps of Pilsudski's legions, while all the other members of the military missions had kept aloof, particularly that tall young French officer, Captain de Gaulle. It was the French who were meant to be close allies to the Poles, but Pilsudski had already decided that he would become friends with de Viat. De Viat climbed into the waiting car that his friend Radzivill had put at his disposal and looked back in through the window of the small simple restaurant at the inscrutable man sitting at the window on his own. Only de Viat's military eye revealed to him the four bodyguards stationed in the shadows inside and out. For some reason, Pilsudski reminded de Viat of Clemenceau the tiger. He had the same air of steel, the same sense that he fought for his nation because the fight was ingrained into the marrow of his bones, etched into the glassy retinas of his eyes. De Viat hoped that the field marshal would live as long as the tiger, so as to steer his country through its laboured rebirth. De Viat had read on the train ride across Europe that the new Poland was divided into three administrative zones and that there were currently five currencies in circulation and 158 different types of railway cars. The entire eastern zone had been reduced to rubble by the war and subsequent looting, every bit as wholesale as the destruction of northern France and southern Belgium. The population of the new state had been kept poor and illiterate by their former imperial overlords and already there were four small wars erupting along its borders with its new neighbours and a bigger war with the old enemy, Russia, looming on the horizon. And that gaunt figure in the window was the unlikely tough man who might, just might, steer Poland back into nationhood. Afterward, Captain Carlton de Viat subsequently went to Galicia the disputed region in the war between Poland and Ukraine. There he met with representatives of West Ukrainian forces and the nominal leader of Ukraine shortly after his train was attacked by Ukrainian forces. He and the two Polish officers accompanying him returned fire. The two Polish officers were killed, but once again, de Viat proved indestructible. After World War I, de Viat went on to survive two airplane crashes and another train battle against pursuing mounted Cossacks who were part of the Red Army besieging Warsaw. He and Pilsudski became firm friends and he is widely believed by historians to have been involved in illegally smuggling weapons to Poland to build up the Polish forces in the 1920s under the unofficial orders from the then Secretary of War Winston Churchill, whose overriding priority was to strengthen forces against communist Russia and a potentially resurgent Germany wherever he could against the mood of the people and parliament of Great Britain and even against its laws. Captain de Viat spent the entire interwar years in eastern Poland on a friend's hunting estate, shooting vast quantities of wildlife in the marshlands on the border with the Soviet Union. He was still in residence there when the Soviets invaded Poland in September 1939. The advancing Red Army burnt to the ground the hunting lodge where de Viat was staying. De Viat escaped by driving the entire length of Poland, fooling the German army by disguising himself. Not easy for a one-armed, one-footed, 61-year-old British officer with an eye patch, and passed into Romania. He re-enlisted in the army the moment he arrived back in Britain, 
and was put in active command as a general of the Norway campaign. Unfortunately for Poland, de Vyat's friend, Field Marshal Joseph Pilsudski, died of liver cancer in 1935, an illness, perhaps, that had its roots in his brutal incarceration in the Siberian gulags. His personal strong leadership, although often criticised as it was indeed a dictatorship, had steered Poland to become a functional and growing nation again. His policies on education and health are high among his social achievements, and his defeat of Bolshevik Russia in 1921, which halted the communist expansion westward for 24 years, and which was the first and only defeat inflicted on the Soviets until their withdrawal from Afghanistan in 1989, is one of the most militarily and politically significant achievements of the 20th century. So here we are um, uh, with Robert Gulicic, who was uh, a wonderful actor uh, who played Vincent van Gogh in Loving Vincent. He's had a phenomenal day where he had to get up at one o'clock in the morning on the other side of Poland, take two flights, go out into the middle of the countryside, frolic about in a snowstorm this morning to test for our new painting animation film, uh, The Peasants, and then do some very archaic 19th century wild peasant dancing. <laughs> and then we came here to uh, a room in Gdansk airport to uh, record you as Pilsudski for this podcast. So thank you very much for doing all of that today. And I know you still have quite a bit of day to go because you've got two more flights, yes. an hour of driving, a couple of hours sleep, and then you're back in the theatre tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So welcome, Robert, and thank you very much for, for all you did today. Um, uh, so Robert has been in two TV series and one film and 15 theatre productions since we finished Loving Vincent. And I just wanted to ask you, uh, has anything changed for you from, from playing that role? Uh, yeah, of course, because it, it opened for me, uh, you know, um, <laughs> propositions for me. Uh, because without Vincent, uh, I think I cannot um, be a uh, film actor in Poland, you know. Yeah, so now you're, you're getting offers for roles yes. in, in films but because of that. So, well, hopefully that means you won't be too busy to come and do our next film. <laughs> we'll have to see so today we recorded uh, you as Pilsudski for the podcast so uh, what do you know about uh, Pilsudski and, and did you learn anything new about him from reading the, this story for the podcast when I uh, started to study in um, theatre school in Wrocław uh, I didn't uh, know so much about him because in high school uh, the knowledge is um, you know only uh, that Pilsudski was uh, a hero uh -huh. and only this um, but then I uh, started to uh, read something about him uh, read uh, more about history of Poland uh, and uh, I saw that um, it wasn't so uh, black and white Mm -hmm. no. uh, for some people he's like a symbol of unity for another people he's a yeah. symbol of division for some people he's you know the hero of the nation for the others he's a dictator so of what, yeah, where, of course, where are you now yeah of course he's a hero and uh, for Poles uh, uh, he's a hero because uh, he rebirthed Poland uh, you know after 123 years mm -hmm. um, 
that's probably enough for one lifetime, yeah. <laughs> and then also he did defeat uh, he did defeat Bolshevik yes. uh, forces yeah, and stopped them, you know, uh, at the gates of the Vistula River, so that they didn't keep coming all across Europe. And it was uh, actually communist Russia's uh, only defeat uh, until the the Afghanistan War and yeah. uh, the collapse of of communism from from economic reasons. So. I had to do a story about Poland. Uh, I really wanted to do a story about Poland. I mean, really, this podcast came from my moving to Poland and and the, the different way that we look at the 11th of November, because in Britain it's a very sombre day and here it's a day of celebration, you know. And and so I wanted to do a story. And then when I came across this, this, this unlikely friendship um, and this unlikely man who'd been living, you know, in Poland for 20 years between the wars and was still here when the the second world war broke out i thought that would be a an interesting way of looking at, at the, the 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 polish uh, um rebirth you know so uh thank you very much for being our pusudski we're now going to try and put an even bigger mustache on you i should say thank that you. the only reason that he has a mustache is because of his tests uh for our uh, painting animation film earlier today and uh, thank you for shaving off your beard and for depriving yourself of, of sleep and for being shivering cold in the snow uh, drifts this morning so robert um, thank you very much for today it was a great adventure thank you too brilliant thank you very much <laughs>